In May, we recorded a podcast about evidence-based decision-making and how to recognise and understand all those factors that play into the choices and decisions we make at work every day. One of the central skills you need to do that is critical thinking. And today, we're going to dig into what it is and how you can learn to reason well and independently. Warren Howlett has been looking into this for the CIPD, and here he is explaining why he thinks critical thinking is a key skill for HR. Critical thinking is the ability to think well and to critically reflect on the ideas, opinions and arguments of others. There are three key parts to critical thinking for people professionals. The first of those is critiquing the ideas, opinions and arguments of others. The second of those is how they construct arguments and opinions themselves that they are communicating to others. And the third piece is to identify when others are using critical thinking techniques that impact how that people professional is making a case or building an argument, making a business case. And a really good example of that, I think, is um, as a people professional, if we just think back, you know, was there a time when you were in a meeting where you've done a lot of prep work, you've done your homework for, for a sound case for a people practice or, a, or an investment? And you've gone into the room having already spoken to stakeholders beforehand, you've done all of that work, and yet when you're in the room, somehow the business case didn't land and a lot of the conversation was spent talking about something else that was unrelated. Well, perhaps that was someone in the room using their critical thinking skills to appeal to history. Perhaps they were talking about something that didn't work in the past that, that may even be unrelated. Perhaps it's a red herring. And actually they're talking about things that are completely unrelated to the case that you're making, but actually distract the conversation in the moment. And it's really important for people professionals to be able to identify when this would be happening in the room. Um, After the meeting is far too late, uh, we actually get a, a relatively small number of opportunities where we are in those types of situations, perhaps with the executive team that may only meet once a month to actually make a case. So it's really important that people professionals are on a, on a level playing field with many of the line leaders who will have gone on leadership development programs. Perhaps they've had legal training. Uh, lawyers tend to be particularly good at aspects of critical thinking. Uh, so it's really about um, people professionals actually being um, on a level playing field with those in the room, being able to reflect critically on, on the ideas, arguments and opinions of others, to be able to make good, sound, logical cases themselves and to identify when in the room somebody may be actually using a critical thinking technique or perhaps we would call them common errors, common errors in critical thinking to distract from the conversation that's being had in the room. And if people are listening to this and thinking, yeah, that's landing with me, I see exactly what he's talking about, how do they develop that critical thinking ability? So I think there are some quick wins Um, and some longer-term development pieces. I think that constructing logical, sound arguments uh, takes some coaching and some practice, so it takes a bit of time to do. Uh, I think that identifying common errors is something that can be done quite quickly. Um, Some of those are very obvious. So, for example, personal attack. If you're under personal attack in a meeting where someone is questioning your credibility and and your uh, whether you should actually be in the room, that's fairly obvious. But things like, as I mentioned, appeals to history, red herrings, whether someone is being selective in using evidence. These are all 
common errors of which there are sort of 30 or so. And actually just being aware of what those common errors are is it could be incredibly powerful for you as a people professional when you are going into conversations and uh, looking for investments, helping to make decisions. It's subtle, isn't it? It's about learning to listen really carefully. Absolutely. And I think identifying what you want to do as a response. I think that's actually probably the trickiest thing once you start to get the hang of it because you need to be able to really call out when this is actually happening in a room but without necessarily assuming someone's intent. So it could very well be the case that someone has the intent to derail a conversation, to stop or delay a decision around an investment or a case that you were trying to make or to even manipulate the room, that's all possible. But it could also be very well that they just happen to be very good at critical thinking. They've perhaps had some training or development in the past. Um, It's part of their DNA. It's part of their systems one thinking. They do it automatically and subconsciously without thinking. It sits side by side, does it, with... um, We talked about evidence-based decision-making in a recent podcast. It's in the same arena, isn't it? Absolutely, yes, that's a very good point. So the critical thinking... Um, aspect of our new profession map and which it is a is a focus area it's part of the analytics and creating value section in our core knowledge and much of the evidence-based practice work also sits in that area and evidence-based practice is about asking good questions and that is a key aspect of critical thinking Tim Coburn has over 20 years' experience at the BBC, Motorola and Rolls-Royce, where he was Global Head of Talent and Global Head of L&D. That is where his interest in critical thinking began, and now he's working with the CIPD to develop a course for members. So, Tim, thanks for joining us. And uh, I should say, at this point, we're recording this podcast in CIPD's offices in in Victoria and central London and it is a particularly noisy day here today so you're going to hear a bit of noises off but I think we'll we'll crack on anyway. Tim should we start with critical thinking what is it how would you define it? Critical thinking is the ability to think well to think clearly to take into account a number of diverse considerations and to reach conclusions which engage and take other people with you. You know it has a, a particular relevance in today's world particularly because um, lots of the problems that we encounter are actually familiar to us and we can deal with those with our intuition. But there are some problems, perhaps more so these days, that require a bit more thought. They're more complex, they're unfamiliar and they need new ways of thinking. What sort of things are you talking about? The most obvious example is that um, the, the digital transformation, the rise of artificial intelligence and machine learning has actually displaced human capacity. A lot of our basic thinking can be done for us. This means that human beings actually are able, they have the capacity to move to, if you like, a more intellectual higher ground where they can do some thinking that's required to address the more complex, perhaps value-based concerns that we have in the world. And critical thinking, I think, has a particular part to play in helping us address those more complex issues. That's interesting. So yes, the kind of more demanded decision-making, the more collaborative decision-making, because there's more of that now as well, isn't well, there? Well, there is. And actually, the history of critical thinking actually has tended to lead us to think that it's associated with individual ability, individual excellence. Um, it's deeply embedded in the world of philosophy and in academia and, and in our educational system. And we develop it as, a, as a, if you like, um, an underpinning uh, transferable skill in our academic and our educational lives. But actually in today's world, we now know that collective intelligence outperforms individual 
intelligence or IQ, uh, particularly in uh, problem-solving issues. So what we are starting to find is that actually the, the problems that we encounter in today's world are better addressed in groups using collaborative uh, and conversational intelligence more so than leaving it up to the expert to come up with the answer. That's interesting. So that, I mean, obviously that's going to be most people's experience of work now, as you say, lots of people in a room trying to solve something. I know you've been interested in this for a long time. Where did it start for you? Well, actually, it started during my uh, earlier my corporate career when I was uh, head of learning at uh, Rolls Royce, and one of our HR directors, the most senior HR director in the company at the time, came to me and said, "You know, w- we deal as an HR community with highly intelligent, some of the world's best engineers working on some of the world's leading." aerospace technologies and sometimes as HR business partners and directors and advisors we uh, need to get stuck into conversations with people who can be quite intimidating because of their intellectual ability. Okay. So for us as an HR community we need a way to engage in strategic conversations with our uh, internal business uh, partners. Can you come up with something that would help us. We think it might be in the area of critical thinking. I hadn't heard that request before. Fascinating, yeah. Um, and this was around about 2006, 2007. So long before the contemporary interest in critical thinking has come to light. Uh, anyway, so the request was from HR for some assistance to help them in collaboration with their business leaders and I came up with a way of helping them develop that ability. And what was that? It was a one-day workshop in critical thinking skills. And for me, as a um, a learning designer by background, um, I did my own subject matter research into what critical thinking is, uh, translated it into an experiential learning workshop, and um, the HR, uh, senior HR business partners, HR directors, Uh, took part in a workshop which equipped them with the skills that they wanted to be able to use in conversation with their clients. That will be a familiar conundrum to a lot of people working in a lot of different sectors, this idea that you have to engage on a serious level with people who do work you don't actually understand. Exactly. And don't really need to understand. Exactly. But you still need to engage with them to get things done. So how did that go down? It went down very well. The feedback was extremely positive. And to just build on your observation, that it it equips um, uh, people to engage with experts when we don't have subject matter knowledge ourselves. But it helps us in two ways. It it helps us both engage, but it also helps us to facilitate their thinking. So one of the roles that uh, HR is often drawn into is uh, the facilitation of meetings, uh, particularly when there are difficult, complex, or strategic issues to address. And HR is often turned to, can you facilitate the meeting? And on the one hand, you could do that by standing with a flip chart and using the pen and saying, what do you want me to write down? But we can be a lot more proactive than that, and most HR practitioners are. And what we often do is come up with a structured process which helps the uh, business leaders themselves do their thinking in a more robust, structured way. And critical thinking adds value to that. So, for example, just to go into critical thinking a little bit, it it gives us broadly three things, in in, in my view. First of all, it gives us a set of standards or principles, a set of quality criteria by which we can judge both our thinking and the output of our thinking, the proposals, solutions or ideas that come from it. The second thing it it gives us are a set of what are known as common errors. 
Um, it sounds a little bit like jargon, but actually these common errors have been around uh, for many, many years, and you, you'll probably find resources on the internet where there are up to 300 common errors. What sort of things? Well, things like the most simple of which would be uh, what, what, what is known as hasty generalisation, which we all know as jumping to conclusions. Yeah. And we all have a tendency, based on prior experience or um, prior observation, that we think we know what to do in a certain situation or what the answer should be. You reach the familiar. Yeah, and so we, mm. we go for that, and sometimes without questioning the assumptions or beliefs or inferences that are made, uh, being made at the same time. So hasty generalisation is an example of a common error. So a more complex one would be one that's known as necessary and sufficient conditions. So we might be attending to an argument, a debate, and development of a proposal in which we start to think we've got a good solution seems like one we could implement and would work. But actually, it might only be fulfilling some, but not all, of the necessary conditions for it to succeed. Okay. And so um, we, if we went ahead with that, we would be committing the error of necessary but not sufficient uh, conditions. Another example would be, that, and these will sound much more familiar, especially in the world of work, um, they're known as the appeals, generally, as a category. And uh, one that's often used in the world of work is um, appeal to history, which we would automatically recognise as, oh, that must mean something like, we've always done it this way, so that's how we should do it now. And um, we'll have heard a, a lot of that in, in organisations. Another is appeal to popularity. You know, so consensus is right. Right? Okay. Well, actually, sometimes <laughs> it isn't, because the people contributing to the consensus of opinion may not have access to all the knowledge that we should be bringing to bear to a particular situation. The immediate question now becomes, if you're if, if your curiosity is enlightened by this, you'd be saying, so what would it do for me to know about these common errors? So what it would do is give you a set of lenses or ways of listening in to important business conversations uh, and being able to notice and pick out the errors that are being made in the quality of conversation that was taking place. And it would equip you to ask questions that would bring to light the error and lead to a solution. And the third point? Yeah, the third point is um, once we're aware of the common errors and the principles or standards by which we judge the quality of our thinking is the ability to hold conversations and be persuasive in discussion with colleagues. So it's all very well having very good individual independent thinking, but if, unless you're able to engage and persuade and take other people with you, then your individual idea isn't going to add much value in a corporate setting. So corporate organisations, by definition, are, are collaborative. We get things done by working together. So if anybody has a good idea and they want to persuade others, critical thinking actually gives you the armoury of persuasion. And one of the uh, huge advantages to HR is that it actually reinforces the role and contribution that HR can make uh, to the business agenda. So going back to Rolls-Royce, uh, where you first started playing with this concept, you came up with this course, people went on the course, presumably your HR partners were delighted with it. What about the people on the other side of the table? What about the expert people within the organisation? Did they see a difference in the quality of interactions? Well, you know, of course, this is the, uh, the golden ticket question. Um, we, and I, I want to say, yes, of course. But actually, <laughs> as we all know, in the domain of behavioural change, it takes time. Did they resist it? N not at all. Okay. I, th I think the, the feedback from colleagues was that they slowly experimented with asking 
a different set of questions or making a different set of suggestions in the discussions that they were, they were taking part in. And they felt more uh, confident about being able to add value. They felt more competent in having a new skill, a different skill. And in fact, some of the feedback that came um, you know, after, after a few weeks and months was, you know what, people are starting to say, where did you get the ability to ask those questions from? That's pleasing. So that was the kind of indi- indicative feedback that, you know, in the world of learning and development, we often treat with a bit more respect than the tick sheet at the end of the, of the workshop or indeed um, personal testimony. We, what we like is testimony from um, customers or colleagues who've engaged and noticed a change in behaviour. And that was the evidence that made me think that when I was uh, working at Rolls-Royce that this actually was having an impact um, that really added value, particularly to HR people. So that worked really well. Presumably you put that into play in other organisations now. Yeah, so since that time I started to work as an independent consultant around about five years ago. And there are um, two or three areas of interest that I have pursued, and one of which is working with executive teams in which I'm often asked to design and facilitate meetings that will help senior leaders make strategic decisions and at the same time learn how to be better as a high-performing team. And one of the methods or tools that I've introduced into that setting is uh, critical thinking. So, for example, I was working with a financial services organisation and uh, particularly with their IT leadership team, and they were looking to introduce new technologies in their um, journey to, to digital transformation. So the agenda for the two days was mostly about uh, project planning and implementation. But they had asked me to introduce new skills that they might also use to better effect. And critical thinking was one of those. So I integrated the development of these new skills with the challenges that they were addressing. And to me, this is the perfect way of enabling people to learn a new uh, behaviour, attach it to a real issue that they believe is absolutely relevant, top of their agenda. So they're properly and, engaged. And, and then it. equip them with skills they can use to address that challenge more effectively proves to be uh, very, very compelling for, for, for participants. The kind of things I included in that were yeah. an introduction to the um, critical thinking standards or principles by which uh, a good argument or a good proposal can be developed, an awareness of the common errors that can often be made and how to spot them and how to ask questions that challenge them. And the third dimension is how to have conversations as a team using the principles of collective intelligence. Now, just I, I should say here, um, because the astute listener will be thinking, how is collective intelligence part of critical thinking? Well, uh, we all know that critical thinking began about 3,000 years ago with Socrates, and the research onto collective intelligence wasn't done at that time. But if we are going to teach or provide critical thinking in today's world, Mm. then we need to take account of the innovations in the way human beings think that have also happened in more recent years. And, you know, emotional intelligence, we we wouldn't think in, in today's world of tackling a problem without being empathetic or compassionate or caring or being ethical. Our attunement to these uh, principles comes from the great work in the domain of emotional intelligence and we can attach that to critical thinking in the same way we can attach the recent research into collective intelligence into 
critical thinking for today's world. So it's becoming more complicated. Well, I think it is. And I think the high ground, if I can call it that, for human beings is to accept that our behaviour is being disrupted by technology. In other words, we don't need to do some of the things that technology can now do for us. It's, it's taken away our need to do routine thinking, but actually gives us capacity to do more complex, innovative thinking. And I think critical thinking is one of the key skills that uh, HR practitioners and business leaders uh, could equally be, be able to use in, in this area. And here's Warren on how the CIPD can help you to develop this vital skill. We have some free resources that will be available on our CIPD learning platform, so we're building that in parallel to the new profession map. So there will be an area of CIPD learning for analytics and creating value, and part of that will be on critical thinking. So that will be available as a resource for free to all of our members. And we are also building a short course um, around critical thinking, which I am doing with Tim Coburn. And uh, we are looking to pilot that in Q4 of this year. Thanks to Tim and to Warren. And while you wait for the new CIPD resources, why not take a look at the profession map to see where critical thinking fits in. You'll find it on the CIPD site. Now, after presenting over 150 monthly podcasts for the CIPD, I'm going to hand over the series to a new presenter in January. So listen out for a new voice and insightful conversations in 2020. The team will be taking a well-earned break in December. In the meantime, my name is Philippa Lamb, and on behalf of the series producers Lucy Greenwell and Becky Jacobs and me, thanks for listening. <laughs>